Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, the site manager of SB Nation's GrizzlyBearBlues.com. You can follow us on Twitter there, at SBN Grizzlies. Very excited for this week's episode. We've been trying to get this week's episode together for about a month or so now uh, with our guest, uh, conflicting schedules between myself and him. And and uh, it, it's good that we're finally able to make some time to talk about this Memphis Grizzlies team, the first two games of their uh, first round series against the Minnesota Timberwolves could have been any different or any more different in terms of how it went for Memphis. And now the series, of course, turns to Minnesota over this coming weekend. Ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. Again, I'm the site manager of SB Nation's GrizzlyBearBlues.com. At least for a few more weeks, hopefully. Um, I'll be retiring from that post when the Grizzlies playoff run ends. Uh, you can follow that blog at SBN Grizzlies. And you can follow my co-host, the associate editor of GrizzlyBearBlues.com. Mr. Parker Fleming at Paca underscore Flocka. He has done a phenomenal job covering for us at GBB for games one and two. Parker, lucky you. You've got the next couple of games off. I know you'll be up watching them, but I'm going to uh, cover the next two roadies and mm-hmm. uh, you'll be back up in game five. So you can enjoy it and not have to worry about writing a game recap during the fourth quarter. Yeah, I've already made some plans to go grab some brewskis <laughs> for those games because I haven't gotten there you go. that luxury for games one and two. But, you know, it's been really fun. Obviously, it's very surreal covering those games when I grew up going to those games as a kid. So, obviously, you know, thank you for that. And, you know, you say a few more weeks for retirement. Come on, Joe, be in the spirit. It's a few more months. I have a you know, more, come on, man. I will say right now, if they win the if they win the NBA Finals, I will fly in uh, to Memphis for that parade. I you will be there to, for man. that. <laughs> yeah, that's one you you pull out the credit card for and you buy a plane ticket. Um, but anyway, I digress. Yeah, but hopefully we have a few more weeks. And you and Brandon were very kind the last time we recorded talking about uh, that announcement. We're going to get into basketball here, and I'm excited to bring on one of my favorite guests to talk basketball with. He writes about the NBA, the WNBA, draft scouting. Uh, He's a writer over at Basketball News, which Parker and I were talking before uh, the show began. One of the up-and-coming NBA basketball in general covering sites. It kind of feels like the ringer. I think Parker has said that before, like early on when it was uh, Grant Land back in the day. Mm -hmm. A lot of those writers that kind of rose up, uh, young, talented, hungry folks. Our guest is a great example of that. He podcasts for Indy Cornrows uh, of the SB Nation Network uh, for the Indiana Pacers. He's on the Athletic NBA show, Daily Ding, every Tuesday. Uh, He's got a pretty long byline at this stage, and I know he's still young in the game. Mr. Mark Schindler at MG underscore S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R. How are you, sir? I know you're recording this as you are watching games. Uh, That's one of the benefits of being a team site. We can just focus on the Grizzlies and relax when they're not playing. You're watching basketball on a daily basis. I know you love it, though. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the kind intro, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm excited that I can get one last pot in with you before. Hopefully more. We'll see. Like you mentioned, who knows how far they'll go. Um, But I'm excited to dive in today, man. I'm I'm really like the playoffs have just been a blast in general, Um, kind of. Both, you know, both just an enjoyment and also blowing my time away because uh, I think this weekend, like normally I'm somebody who will watch maybe like one game live a night. And normally I watch like my my next day will be, you know, watching three or four on replay 
um, because I can condense it down and clip things easier. And basically the way that the playoffs work in the first week, I have to watch everything live. Otherwise, I'm so incredibly behind on writing and everything because I'm like just trying to pump out as much stuff as possible. We're still keeping it good, of course. But um, yeah, it has been a, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, but yeah, we got a little bit more of a break now that we're into uh, into the first week and it's only three games per night. Make sure you're subscribing to GBB Live on Apple, on Google, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on iHeart. I always forget iHeart, but make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing. You've got the core four. Uh, actually, no, you don't have the core four anymore, do you, Parker? Uh, maybe you eventually we'll have the core four. Maybe eventually. We'll uh, see. We'll see. Uh, starting five, three and D, the long view with Parker. I know he and Connor Dunning of 92.9 ESPN just put out an episode. Um, lots of good podcasts. Make sure you're subscribing to the network. Uh, that includes the flagship uh, that started all the way back in January of 2014. Wow. Uh, Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Yeah. yeah I, when, when I talked to my boss, uh, quick segue here, Mark. When I talked to my boss, he was like, I'm surprised you didn't do this earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, apparently, I'm old in the game as I push my glasses up as we record. This. <laughs> um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, Mark, I really enjoy, and I've talked to you about this before in the past, I really like getting people that aren't Memphis-centric on this podcast because mm-hmm. obviously I'm biased. Parker's biased. You know, like I said, we have the benefit of being able to be team-specific with our blog, grizzlybearblues.com, and you still do that with the Indiana Pacers to an extent over at Indy Cornrows. Shout out to uh, all the great writers and staff over at Indy Cornrows, one of my favorite team blogs for SB Nation. Um but you also are expanding yourself in terms of basketball news. You're doing a lot more national reporting and writing mm-hmm. and you get a chance to see not just the Grizzlies. You get to see them at, as a part of the overall NBA perspective, I guess, or the overall NBA portrait. We are just so focused on our, our tiny little footprint in the mid South that we don't really get a chance to do what you do on a daily basis, watch all these other teams and how the Grizzlies kind of compare. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. Mark, your initial impressions in this first segment, we'll talk about games one and two. For me, the biggest thing about both of those games combined was just how different they were for Memphis. Not necessarily in terms of execution, because the Grizzlies offense scored 117 points in game one. They were effective in their way. Maybe they weren't elite shooting the three, but they scored efficiently from the free throw line. They got to the rim somewhat consistently, not quite as much as they're used to, but still you have to give Minnesota some credit for that defensively. The biggest thing for me was the energy. They looked like a team that hadn't played in a long time. I don't want to use the term scared by any stretch of the word because that's not them in any way, shape or form. Uh, Tentative maybe is definitely a better way to put it. The the emotion I'm trying to exude uh, when they look like they weren't sure of what they were supposed to be doing, especially on the defensive end uh, when it came to guarding people like cat, and Anthony Edwards game two was completely different. Hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about Xavier Tillman and all that stuff here in a moment, but I just thought the energy was drastically different. The, the way that they carried themselves, the way that when they had opportunity to put the foot on the throat and put the foot on the gas pedal and really drive that thing and accelerate their lead. They, even if the Grizzlies had had that chance in game one, I'm not sure they would have been able to execute in game two. They did. And then some, that was my main takeaway. What, what was yours? from those first two games in Memphis as the series is tied one, one. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, I mean, I think I, uh, going into game one, I mean, Memphis's defense has been kind of, uh, 
interesting for me all year. Like, I think that the defense is very good, a lot of it because of what Jaron Jackson Jr. does. Um, I was really interested by the series because as good as, like, I, I love DeAnthony Melton, as you guys know, um, but there isn't necessarily a great perimeter defender on the team. Like, Dylan Brooks is very good. I think he he would have warranted all defense mentions if he'd been healthy much of the year. But in terms of just, like, really great point of attack stopper, long wings, um, there isn't necessarily a quote-unquote shutdown guy on the team, and it's much more like a sum of its parts group. And I think we saw in that first uh, that first game, Anthony Edwards kind of got whatever he wanted. Um, so seeing the way that the team adapted to that, and we can get into more of like what they changed up because that was, I, you know, going back and watching today um, the second time, like it, it stuck out even more. And it makes me very excited to see how the rest of the series is going to change up because I, I felt like, I mean, Taylor Jenkins just put together a really good game plan that they executed off rip yesterday. Um, and like you mentioned too, I think getting out and transition a lot more, like part of what's been exciting about Zaire Williams is, I mean, you know, that guy is running to the corner every single time and it sounds minute, but um, the, 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 the wolves weren't there with getting back in transition most of the time and just being able to get down and get things set early and, and moving early. Uh, I felt was really huge for opening up more of the offenses. They were able to get into the paint a lot more too. Parker, you're there in person in Memphis for us. You have the opportunity to go and cover these games for GBB. Uh, when is your biggest takeaway? Again, like Mark said, we'll get more into the minutia of it here in a moment. But just the overall thought process of taking in game one, taking in game two. Um, is it coaching adjustment? Is it like me watching from afar and you just noticed a more confident, more energetic? The team that played in game two, Parker, looked more like the team that we've seen for most of the 82 mm -hmm. plus now games that we've seen all season. The team in game one looked more like the team from November in a lot of ways that wasn't really confident and sure of themselves. And it had people on Twitter asking to fire Taylor Jenkins, who's a finalist for coach of the year, by the way, it's insane, and, yeah. trade, and, and trade Jaron Jackson Jr. Who is going to be first team all NBA defense or uh, all defensive team. Um, that happened within this season. It feels like it was so long ago, but it was, you know, just six months ago, essentially at this stage or a little less. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from watching those two very different performances for the Grizzlies? Uh, I, I would say that my biggest takeaway is they just back up what they said. I mean, after game one, you know, I would say the team was, I mean, they weren't happy by any means, but they were a little more vibrant than you would be after blowing a game one loss at home. You know, they, they had that dialogue on what they did. Obviously, you can kind of tell that happened because it took them a little bit longer to get to the post-game media scrums. But, you know, Ja, they said they were pissed off. Taylor Jenkins said they were pissed off. Ja said the adjustments that he wanted to do, and that was for him putting his teammates in better situations when he was driving. I mean, that game one, you noticed that he was kind of just going in like a running back. I mean, he got to the free throw line 20 times. A lot of his times he was pretty out of control going to the rim, but he was a lot more deliberate getting downhill, um, a lot more intentional on finding his teammates. Uh, Taylor Jenkins loves saying uh, you got to take more threes to make more threes. I mean, they were 7-27 in that fir first game. Granted, not much better in game two. I mean, 11-34, but that's still seven more attempts. But guess what happened with seven more attempts? Four more makes, and it just open up, opens up the floor more. Obviously, a big person that played a big role in that is Jaron Jackson Jr., who is really the only floor-spacing big man on the team. So when you are now, I guess, shifting him to be primarily the five out on the floor, 
it's going to open up the defense a lot because you're stretching out guys like Carl Anthony Towns, like Nas Reed, and really forcing that in, that in Timberwolves defense to defend the entire floor. And, um, you know, that that's what really I took away, you know, because there's a lot of uh, media speak, I guess, you know, where they say what they're going to do and stuff. But they, they backed it up, and it was pretty emphatic. They kind of reminded everybody why they were the uh, second-best team in the NBA by record, second seed in the Western Conference. So, all in all, it was very impressive. Uh, I, I was very happy. It was nice to kind of have a relaxing fourth quarter for once. <laughs> Makes getting the game recaps done a lot easier when the game is in uh, is oh, yeah. decided. And it's a lot more fun when it's on the winning side. There's times where you're getting your butt kicked and it makes it easier to write the game recap too. Um, Mark, I I guess one of the things that both you and Parker do so well, uh, reminding me of a young me when I, when I would do this more, you guys dive into the film, look at the X's and O's, that sort of stuff. Um, The, the biggest difference in terms of rotation from game one to game two was obviously the removal essentially of Steven Adams. He had two Mm -hmm. fouls early in the game, uh, played three minutes, didn't re-enter the contest. And you could – it'd be lazy, I think, to say that's the reason the Grizzlies won. But I think that it's hard to ignore the fact that it allowed, as Parker alluded to, for Jaron Jackson Jr. to play more of the five. Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman got more minutes in that spot. And it makes for a more versatile look on both ends of the floor. There's a series for Steven Adams. I think he matches up well with Golden State, for example, if it comes to that. Uh, but, I mean, I think the Denver Nuggets are cooked. Segway. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. They, they trust me. I have something coming yeah. out of the bar. They're done. That, yeah. that series is over. That's Warriors in four or five. But my point is Memphis, to respect what Minnesota did to the Grizzlies in game one, Memphis should win this series in five or six, but they still have to handle their end of the bargain. Um I think that looking at our poll, uh, acknowledging the team identity of Memphis, our question of the day poll, I should say, and thanks to the over 100, 150 folks that voted in the poll, who individually deserves the most credit for the Grizzlies game to win? Uh, John Morant got 17% of the vote. Jaron Jackson Jr. only got 8% of the vote, which is mildly surprising. Uh, it essentially became a tie between Xavier Tillman, who got 37% of the vote, and 38% of the vote to Taylor Jenkins. So Taylor Jenkins wins the poll very narrowly by a slim margin. Uh, I'm curious as to who you would give the most credit to for that victory. Uh, Do you agree with the voters that it's one of those two? Xavier Tillman gave so much energy, really gave a boost to that team and helped kick the door open to the blowout. Taylor Jenkins uh, deflecting his coach bud tendencies from being part of the coach Budenholzer tree and uh, making that switch, not being stubborn, in terms of his rotation that got him to 56 and 26, it would have been pretty understandable to stick with Steven Adams. It would have been the wrong choice, but it will also, you know, in the hindsight of history, you have to acknowledge they won 56 games with him playing center most of the time. So I think that Taylor Jenkins does deserve some credit for those adjustments. Uh, so a two-parter here for you, Mark, what adjustments did you notice game two to game one beyond the rotation stuff? And do you think Jenkins deserves the majority of the credit for that game to win, or does it go to a player like Tillman who brought such unique energy and op- and opportunity when it presented itself? He only played about 700 minutes this season, and when the opportunity arose, he took full advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, at, at the extent of uh, of of just being um, you know unwilling to give an entire answer, I think it's a little bit of everything. You know, uh, like first of all, credit to Taylor for for making 
the adjustments that he did, especially just in the rotation. But um, like I think just looking in general, like uh, the Wolves won a lot of empty corner pick and roll early. Uh, I mean, not just early, all of the first game with Anthony Edwards in the corner. And like we talked about earlier, like I think there are guys who can hang in front of him. But when you have that much space, it's a really difficult equation to fix with, you know, he's such a good pull up shooter. Um, so you can't really sag off of him. But he's also so good off the dribble and just has such a good first step that, I mean, it's one of the five best in the league. Um, it's impossible to stay in front of him. So, like, what the, to me, what I, what I noticed that the Grizz did a lot more, um, he, like, they were shading off of guys. So, like, even if Pat Bev would, like, they, they, so Pat Bev would, like, start in the corner and would come up into the slot. Um, and even if Pat Bev did, like, a cut down baseline, um, they would have somebody rotate low. Um, they would keep, the guy who was on Pat Bev shaded over just even if it's just for a moment to, to keep Ant from getting, you know, that first step downhill right away and give the defense a moment to get set because they got killed on that in the first game. Um, so that stood out to me. And then on dealing with Cat, because Cat on drives was the other huge aspect in the first game. Like he was just, I mean, it's oh, not you mean the pulling the guard, the pulling, <laughs> the, the yes, that's exactly the what he looks coach. like. You mean it, the it guy that lowers like his shoulder and never gets called or rarely <laughs> gets called for an offensive foul? That was ridiculous. I couldn't believe – I think it was Jaron that flew backwards. And no no call at all. That was absurd. Come on, NBA. I, I get do it recall together. that <laughs> just a few times. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he was uh, – I mean, he was huge in that first game. Got to the line a bunch too. But what the Grizz started doing by putting Tillman out there – I mean, Tillman's obviously a little bit more mobile – um, him and Kyle Anderson together is something that I loved. Uh, like they were just switching all four or five actions with them, but it wasn't just like straight up switching. It was a lot of peel switching. So, um, more like handing the guy off to one another than just kind of sitting there and waiting. It was very active switching. Um, so I liked that a lot. I felt like it really did a good job of taking away cat's ability to get an extra step, um, to attack off the drive. Um, and I mean, credit too. like, the, the, you know, you can just point out X's defense, but he was awesome offensively too. you know, getting down in transition, just being active on the glass, um, especially for a team that sends two to the ball a lot on defense like uh, Minnesota does. Yeah, I mean, he, he really feasted yesterday. He looked very good, looked very active. He flew around, gave great efforts. Mm-hmm. And again, to be that engaged with the game plan, to know what you're supposed to do. You mentioned the switching with Kyle Anderson. He hasn't been in the rotation. He hasn't had an opportunity probably to practice with Kyle Mm -hmm. in that way a lot. So it's a lot of independent film study. It's a lot of breaking down of things by yourself. Um, And it leads to that positionless basketball, which Parker Fleming has talked about for years over at grizzlybearblues.com. Because X could be a five. He could be a four. Kyle at this stage of his career could be a four or five. They're both roughly the same height. Uh, Anderson obviously has great length. Uh, which negates maybe some of the size that he loses when he defends Cat. It just makes things a lot more difficult, and it allows for them to do more of that blitzing that I know you've talked about before, Parker, blitzing on the ball mm-hmm. and and trying to muddy the passing window, so to speak, when they're trying to get these cross-court passes over to the weak side uh, to try to negate the helping defense. Um, I'm curious, Parker, before we uh, get to the next segment, your thoughts on the poll. Because obviously, yeah. you mentioned Taylor Jenkins deserving credit, Xavier Tillman uh, deserving credit, John Morant almost had a triple double, so he probably deserves some credit. Uh, but before we started recording, you told me you voted for the fourth place finisher 
And I'm curious as to why. Jaron Jackson Jr. was your choice for the player that deserves the most credit for the game to win. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, for one, it kind of goes along with that uh, back up what you said narrative with Jaron. To keep it PG, Jaron said that game one for him was pretty crappy. And, uh, you know, you're thinking like, oh, he had seven blocks in 24 minutes. But, you know, he got in foul trouble. I thought he missed some crucial threes that really could have just kind of swing the tide a little bit in game one. You know, he was spacing the floor, and he's the only floor-spacing big man the Grizzlies have. So that just opens up a lot of driving lanes for Ja, and it really just kind of just makes Minnesota defend you from all over the floor. And I think that's very important, you know, especially when Jaron's hitting four threes, four of his seven attempts. But uh, just how smart he played, very disciplined. Um, He only had, like, three or four fouls. But there's one specific sequence that I thought, like, that just comes to mind where he got Patrick Beverly on a switch and like Patrick Beverly, like he isn't like Trey young or anything offensively. Like he's not that good offensively, but he tried to get uh, Jaron on a switch, got him on, try to get him on a Rondo fake. And it's like Jaron just had kind of like, just stood there completely disciplined. Just like, all right, I'm a foot taller than you. You're not going to get this shot over me. And just forced Patrick Beverly into a stupid shot, just stuff like that. I mean, he just played a lot smarter. Um, he didn't have any offensive fouls, which really kind of got – I didn't feel bad for him with that foul trouble. I didn't – I wasn't mad at Taylor Jenkins for being conservative with it because Jaron, he wasn't being smart on his drives, and he was just – the defense, all they had to do is just wait for him to be there, and it's an offensive foul every time. Um, but, you know, Jaron unlocks a lot of um, versatile lineups. You know, he could play with Kyle. Uh, he played with X. He played with Brandon Clark. And with that, it just unlocks his – Crazy amount of switchability that the Grizzlies have. I mean, there's a lot of possessions where Brandon Clark would be the ending defender on Anthony Edwards. You'll you can have uh, Kyle Anderson on Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Jaron kind of in that Romer spot. It's just you know he's that guy that you want to be that second best player next to Jaw, and I ideally you want him being closer to a one A one B with him rather than being a 2A, 2B, 2C with Desmond Bain. And I think he showed that last night, and that's why I voted for him. His defensive impact is impeccable uh, in terms of all the things that you just said, what he's capable of doing, deflections and passing lanes as well. Uh, But I do think that whenever his offense is nearly as impactful, because it won't be as impactful as his defense, at least not yet. If it does get to that level, we're talking about an MVP caliber player in Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, right now, we're, we got a defensive player of the year caliber player. I think he finished top five or top six in the voting. And uh, and we'll happily take that in Memphis for now. Friendly reminder, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. are both 22 years old. Uh, so the future's looking bright. And it's nice to know that they read grizzlybearblues.com. You mentioned John Morant uh, using his versatility more and, uh, and not just driving down the basket. I wrote about that over at grizzlybearblues.com. Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, being more aware of the defense that you just alluded to, also written by me over at grizzlybearblues.com. So a bit of a shameless plug here. On Coach Molinax right there. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> see, I, I still got it in me. You know, I don't I don't break it down quite as intently on YouTube like you. Uh, I search videos on Twitter at this stage, but I can still break down a, a clip or two here in my advanced blogging age. When we come back, we'll bring Mark Schindler back on to the show. We're going to preview games three and four, busy weekend ahead in Memphis. Um, well, actually, it'll be in Minnesota. Uh, the Timberwolves will be taking on the Grizzlies, their first home playoff games 
in some time. Um, what will the Grizzlies be walking into? What adjustments can we further expect? Do we think Memphis still wins this thing in five? In my case, that was my prediction. Grizzlies in five still on the table, but that just means they'd have to win both games in Minnesota. Uh, the target center is going to be ready to prove me wrong. We'll be right back. Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, joined by my co-host, Mr. Parker Fleming. Uh, Very excited to have him on the show with me, covering for us there in Memphis, games one and two uh, for grizzlybearblues.com. And Mark Schindler, at MG underscore S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R. Again, one of my favorite follows. He's one of the nicest guys that I've met doing this um, in terms of his time. Again, he's doing this show with us while he's watching other games. Uh, when you write for basketball news, obviously you don't just focus on one team. Still podcast for Indy Cornrows. He's on the Athletic NBA shows Daily Ding uh, every Tuesday. One of the busiest guys, one of the young, talented guys out there that I'll be able to say I remember when and he makes it big. Um, you know, uh, it make me blush, Joe. In, in my in my decrepit state uh, as I enter my later thirties here in the next couple of years and I retire from this blogging world, um, Mark games three and four and it's important to understand that we're now both of these games are not going to have any two-day breaks in between you've got the game thursday Mm -hmm. night in minnesota where the target center is going to be rocking like no doubt in my mind those fans are going to be ready uh to make the grizzlies life a living hell and then they play again on saturday and it's a little bit later of a start on saturday i think it's a 9 p.m central time start um so there's a little bit of a, a break, like a couple hour difference, um, but there's not going to be as much in between time. In your opinion, how impactful is that? Because I think for a team like Memphis, they lose in game one on a Saturday and then they have two days to kind of figure it out. If that makes sense, they have the, the, the longer break to make some adjustments. That's not going to be the case going into Minnesota. Obviously coach Finch, Chris Finch, of the Timberwolves is a very good coach, was a coach of the year candidate in his own right. Minnesota's a good young basketball team. They're going to make adjustments, but on a very just literal scale, they have less time to make those adjustments. Does that matter? Or is this something where they already have the infrastructure in place? Game three would look the same if it was on a Friday as opposed to the Thursday. Um, I think it does and, and doesn't matter. Like to a degree, I, I, I mean, I mean, when they already have like the full scout done headed into a series, I, I think that, you know, if you didn't it, having less time for that, I think I'd be more concerned about um, it definitely does. You know, there's there's obviously a time crunch in between, but I feel like that stuff is more without, you know, being on the inside. I feel like that's something that's more, you know, between, you know, like a game to game thing. It, it's less of a time consuming ordeal than, you know, prepping a, an entire game plan heading into a series. So I'm going to have you to flip roles here, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm going to have Mark do the number one adjustment for the Grizzlies going into games three and four, and I'm going to have Parker, and I'm going to let Mark go first because I know Parker might be a little harder for you. I'm going to have Parker do what he thinks should be the number one adjustment for the Timberwolves. Uh, so, Mark, I'll start with you. you. Again, you've seen both games. You mentioned you watched game two a second time earlier on uh, Wednesday. What do you think the Grizzlies need to do most to ensure that what happened on Tuesday remains the status quo? Maybe not quite a blowout, but again, most 
folks had Grizzlies in five, Grizzlies in six, especially the folks saying Grizzlies in five, that's a pretty convincing series win. So in order for Memphis to keep that lane and beat this Timberwolves team twice in their home arena and then finish it next week at home, what is the number one thing, in your opinion, the Grizzlies either have to continue to do or try to institute in their game plan? Um, you know, it's not really something that you can – I mean, part of it could be game planning, you know, and how you adjust, how you're moving guys. Like, I would like to see them um, maybe prioritize getting Desmond Bain going more. Um, like, I, I, I think can always getting... support that. <laughs> I mean, like, he's been very good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I mean, he's, he's he's shot decently from the field. But I think uh, on a team where, like, my biggest hang-up with the Grizzlies is that they have a lot of guys who will shoot. They don't have a lot of guys who are good shooters, in my opinion. Like, um, obviously, Jaron going off like he did in game two, like we've seen how – I mean, just look at the the stats over the last two years from Jaron's uh, splits. You know, if he's shooting above league average from three, then, the, I mean, the Grizzlies almost never lose. And and there's a reason for that. But, um, like, I, I mean, you need Dylan to shoot a lot better from three. You need to get Des going more too. But, I mean, just looking up and down the roster, I think uh, – even though they played well yesterday, I think they only shot like 31, 32%. For and it's not just percentage, obviously, but um, I do think that is something that I would like to see moving forward because especially against a team like uh, Minnesota where shot variance is like a really big part of whether or not you're impacting that team. Because I do imagine they're going to tighten things up and um, try and find some new ways to slow down Ja because Ja was like, I mean, it's some of the shots that didn't go in yesterday was like egregious considering considering what Ja did to get them open. But um, I, I wouldn't like overall, I think it's more about like process stuff that I'm interested to see how it plays in the next round, seeing how they can work on um, if, if they can work on anything for, for getting guys a little bit more open or just getting better shots. I like that. I think that's really good. Desmond Bain, I think he only had 16 points in game two, something mm-hmm. along those lines. And he had, I want to say, two or three made threes, but when Desmond Bain is that third legit star, right, and he's able to be that productive scorer like a Clay Thompson in the Golden State offense, and again, I would say Desmond Bain is a very poor man's Clay Thompson at this stage, Mm -hmm. but again, but Bain is 23 years old. Whenever he is cooking at that type of level, which he has done at times this season, it makes the Grizzlies' offense that much more unguardable because they have that perimeter threat. I agree with you. I'd like to see them feature him a little bit more as opposed to force-feeding shots for, you know, like Jaron at times felt like it was forced. Dylan Brooks, who has done much better in this regard. You know, I almost put Dylan Brooks as one of the five options for, or one of the four options for the reason the Grizzlies won game two because he did so well facilitating offense, and that has not been our experience with Dylan Brooks in Memphis. Um, he did it willingly and was very fluid and natural. Dylan had a major role in that win. Um, I would like to see more feed into Desmond because of, you know, we talked about him potentially being a most improved player candidate. Uh, he needs to be given more opportunity to showcase why that was. I think that's fair. Parker, it's going to be your turn here. I gave you a few extra minutes. Um, you saw the Timberwolves in person. You saw them push the Grizzlies uh, to a loss on game one. You saw them get torched in game two by memphis if you were chris finch what adjustment are you making if you're the timberwolves going into this time at home uh, against the grizzlies you know I, i'm very interested to see i think finch for one is going to pull the plug on vanderbilt uh but 
is he going to be willing to pull the plug on Beverly? Because I don't think Beverly's been that effective guarding John Morant. He's gotten downhill pretty much whenever he wants, and he hasn't. And Beverly hasn't provided much offensively. Like, will he go towards Malik Beasley, who is a bigger defender who can also space the floor a little more and can kind of pop off in a scoring role? I'm very interested to see that. But I, I would think Chris Finch's biggest priority needs to be getting D'Angelo Russell going. Uh, Russell's a guy that really lit up Memphis. And, you know, in this series, he shot sub 30% from the field. I think it's like been like 27% or something like that. And you're not, you're not going to win many other games in this series if D'Angelo Russell is shooting that poorly from the field. Um, you know, he's very important as that third guy between Ant and um, Carl Anthony Towns. Um, so I just try to find some actions to get him going because he's at, I mean, he's the facilitator of that offense and it's not even that he's, you know, it's not one of those things where he's like, he's off as a scorer, but he's facilitating really well or vice versa. Like he's like almost a zero offensively. And, you know, Joe, you do bring up that like Memphis in five, like if D'Angelo Russell doesn't get going, then that Memphis in five is a realistic possibility. So D'Angelo Russell remains a focus for Parker. Uh, Mark talked about trying to get Desmond Bain going a little bit. I'll do one for each. Um, I agree with you on your Vanderbilt point for Minnesota. I would start Nas Reed. I think that is their best opportunity to push Memphis offensively, especially when Grizzly, the Grizzlies go small. Because I think that Jaron Jackson Jr., even if they start Steven Adams, which is possible, but I think it's unlikely at this stage, um, regardless of whether or not Steven Adams plays again in the series, I think that you're looking at an opportunity for Minnesota. If you have Nas Reed out there with Cat, you've got two three-point threats, kind of that same kind of idea of having five out, being able to run those pick-and-roll uh, actions like Mark was referencing, have guys in the corners uh, for shooting purposes. You space out the floor best with those two guys in your front court, and it gives you as much versatility as you could probably get without losing offensive weaponry like you do with Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt plays himself off the floor pretty consistently uh, because of his inability to be an offensive threat. He's a great rebounder, does a lot of good things defensively, but he is less of an offensive weapon scoring-wise than Steven Adams in terms of usage, and that's pretty tremendous when you think about it. But the numbers uh, back that up as as, as well as your eyes. Uh, For the Grizzlies, I think that they need to continue to help the reserves and make sure that guys like DeAnthony Melton, who Mark mentioned earlier, are uh, in a position to produce in the rhythm of the offense. I think that DeAnthony Melton uh, forces things at times. He, he wears the number zero. He looks like Gilbert Arenas out there, and I don't mean the good Gilbert Arenas. I mean the, towards the end of his career, Gilbert Arenas, where he uh, you know yells hibachi and airballs the shot. Um, th- that looks like DeAnthony too often for me. Um, at least in the playoffs, especially. So I think getting him looks in the rhythm of the offense, that matters. Getting Tyus Jones into the f- rain, into the lane and getting his floater going. Um, getting Zaire Williams looks like they did with Jaw on that lob pass on the cut to the, uh, to the, uh, from the baseline. All that kind of stuff is going to help them because their reserves are one of their strengths. Obviously, things get condensed in the playoffs in terms of minutes. But these guys are going to play. You want to maximize those times because when they're in, chances are one of Jaw, Bain, and Jaron are out. We're finishing up here with Mark Schindler. Mark, we'll get you out of here on this. 
Uh, I believe between now, because I think game five, I don't have it right in front of me. Game five is Tuesday of next week, I believe is correct. Parker, do you know if that's true or not? Game five is next Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. So we'll have three games played uh, between now and the next time we have a podcast. We'll record either probably that Wednesday. Okay. Um, so three games will be played between now and the next time we're on. Mark, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is there a game six in Minnesota or is this Grizzlies in five? Uh, I think I'm going to go with six uh, just because we've seen, uh, I'm like, I mean, this, this was a semi even series during the regular season without, of course, you know, guys were out on both sides, but um, I think that we saw stuff that Minnesota it could could get going more uh, as the series goes on. Still, I would probably lean towards six, and that's not a slight to, to Minnesota. It's more just, I mean, not slight to to Memphis. I just think that this Minnesota team has more than uh, a five game season series in them. Parker, same question to you: Are you with me on Grizzlies in five, or are you? I think you said Grizzlies in six to begin with. Are you sticking with that two games in? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Grizzlies in six. They got Anthony Edwards. He's awesome. Um, Colin Anthony Towns, even if the Grizzlies have their adjustments, he's an all-NBA center. So, And this is going to be a ruckus crowd. This is their third third and fourth home playoff game since 2005. It's I, been I a think minute. Yeah. at least one. It's been a long time. So, yeah, I'm going to say it's Grizzlies in six. I appreciate the respect. You two are uh, two of the best basketball minds that I talk to on a semi-regular basis. It's Grizzlies in five. Um, I think that the Grizzlies are the superior team. I think that Minnesota is playing the role of the Memphis Grizzlies last season, and the Grizzlies are playing the role of the Utah Jazz. I think Memphis is just not necessarily figuring out Minnesota, but I think they're evolving as a team. And uh, I'm, I, I made Grizzlies in five my prediction. If it goes six, that won't surprise me. I think that that you know, makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, I'm going to stick with my Grizzlies in five. And I think that they need to win game three, Memphis does, to prove that game two wasn't a fluke. Because if Minnesota wins game three, then they have the belief that, oh, that didn't matter. They weren't really that much better than us. And they have even more momentum going into game four. So I think game three is a really low-key important game for the Grizzlies. Mark, thank you so much, buddy. I know you're a busy man. Uh, Hopefully we have a chance to talk again soon. If we don't, uh, it's been fun having you on the show. And I'm sure we'll, you know, talk on Twitter and elsewhere. And I'll keep following your work. I promise you that. Thank you. I appreciate that, Joe. Absolutely. For Mark, for Parker, I'm Joe. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at GBB Live, subscribing on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, whatever the heck you call it nowadays, Um, (laughs) Google. However you get your podcast, make sure you're subscribing to the GBB Podcast Network. Make sure you're following uh, Grizzly Bear Blues on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. We have four pieces dropping on Thursday morning to help get you ready for game three. And I didn't have to write a single one of them. It's a playoff miracle. Very excited about that. Shout out to our staff. Shout out to Parker. Did a great job covering games one and two. I, Joe Mullinax, will be your guy covering games three and four. For Mark, for Parker, I'm Joe. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. (laughs) 